This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, In Africa's Honor, Dick Tiger versus Gene Fulmer III, A Blast from Nigeria's Glorious Past. And the author is Justina Ihitu. And Justina joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Justina. Hello, how are you? Well, good to have you with us. Looking forward to uh, learning about your father, Dick Tiger, uh, a tribute to him and also a tribute to the nation of Nigeria of in yeah. Africa. You have some very strong feelings about uh, highlighting the success of the great nation of Africa and also of your homeland, Nigeria. Absolutely. Let me read just a couple things you've written so everyone understands in general the the totality of your book. You say, in an era of the American civil rights movement and barely three years after Africa's most populous nation celebrated her independence from colonial rule, the Nigerian government brought her full weight to bear in a world championship title bout, the first ever in black Africa. The Dick Tiger versus Gene Fulmer the Third fight held back in August 10th, 1963. You also say this, this book is a labor of love and serves as a reminder to all Africans that with unity, pride, and honor, Africans can overcome their greatest obstacles to celebrate their diversity in all its glory. So obviously a dual purpose in this book, uh, First of all, tell us about yourself, Justina, daughter of Dick Tiger, and why you wanted to write this book. All right. My name is Justina, again, as you said. And yes, I am the daughter of the late Dick Tiger. Um, I live in New York with my two children, Alexis and Daniel. Um, Well, I have been teaching now. This is my 20th year teaching. I work in the non-public school department of the New York City Board of Education, and it's a fabulous job. I love working with kids. They keep you young. They and do. when I see them, yes, <laughs> I see them. I know that here in America, they're blessed to have all these role models, you know, they can look up to. That's really why I wrote about my dad, because in Africa, unfortunately, due to the stereotyping, et cetera, and all, well, most of the corruption, you know, they're not enough of the role models. And I said, why not bring back our glorious past when we had the great leaders of Nigeria, the great sportsmen, my father included, with Hogan Kibasi. You know, when the nation were able to put aside, you know, their differences, you know, to work together to make this happen for the country. So I wanted to... um I wanted to really encapsulate that moment in, in Nigerian history, in African history, for future generations and for the generation today to know that something like that actually did take place. You know, we always hear about Muhammad Ali's rumble in the jungle, you know, 
most people believe that it's the first uh, uh, professional fight, championship fight to happen in Africa, but it's not. That one happened 11 years after my dad, Dick Tiger, fought Gene Fulmer in Nigeria. Um, it's all documented, except, uh, you know, people haven't dug deep. So I had to dig deep, you know, to pull it out. It's uh, a glorious time in Nigeria's past, and I wanted to share it with the world. And in honor of uh, this uh, unsung hero, that is Big Tiger. Your father, uh, Richard Ihitu, better known as Dick Tiger, uh, staged these boxing tournaments to raise funds to help uh, alleviate the sufferings of his people during their time of trouble. Most people wouldn't even know that. Oh, yeah. He wasn't just a great boxer. He was a humanitarian. You know, he's very altruistic. Uh, 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 in my uh, book as well, on the cover, um, we just started a, a foundation for him, a charitable uh, foundation, the Big Tiger Foundation, it's to continue his legacy, you know, of giving and of empowering people, you know, for people to believe in themselves. Because he didn't have any. He believed in himself, and, and he made it, and he gave back. People don't even know that he single-handedly built a school in the rural community because he knew the benefits of, you know, an education. This was in 1966. He completed the uh, the secondary school. You know, neighboring kids from all over, you know, went to that school. We have uh, um, um, some senators, you know, uh, uh, writers, athletes that graduated from that uh, secondary school. You know, um, in that from the, in that rural rural area, and it's all because he had that foresight, you know, to that vision. He knew the importance of education, even though he himself did not have, uh, you know, that benefit. But he knew the importance, and he wanted other people's children to have, because he knew his own children. Of course, he could provide for them, but he wanted to make sure that other children too that didn't have. You remember when he was growing up poor, without. And he didn't want that on anybody. So he, he tried the best he could, you know, for humankind. You know, during the wars, he said, yes, um, he put his life on the line. He put his career on the line, you know, and his family to help, you know, the Eagles. That's the tribe. They call it tribe, but that's the group of people that he's from. You know, um, um, what can I tell you? Uh, I said he put his career on the line. He was cautioned. Oh, Dick, you know, you don't have to go into that war. Just, you know, just leave him. You know, it'll resolve itself. But no, no, no. He saw the suffering. He heard it, and they felt it was a pogrom, and uh, he threw himself into it. And, you know, do, because he, he was very popular, he was their illustrious son, he was able to reach the world, you know, to, he became a voice for those uh, suffering in Biafra. You know, he helped to broadcast, uh, to make uh, known the sufferings of uh, the evil people and uh, everything. Look, Queen Elizabeth gave him a belt. <laughs> he, the, order of the, the Order of the British Order, Queen Elizabeth gave him a belt, but he returned the belt to Queen Elizabeth because he felt that the British... They were not helping his people. He felt they were fighting Nigeria. This was way back. Today we all want Nigeria, and we're working to make it work. 
because we've tried to separate before and it didn't go too well. There was a lot of bloodshed, etc. So now we're all pulling together. It's not easy, but I know we will get there. Um, but those days, my dad, you know, what he did was to, uh, he returned that belt to Queen Elizabeth, you know, um, as a sign of, uh, as a show of, uh, you know, uh, this, this, this taste or for them not, uh, you know, supporting right, them. a symbol against yeah. everything that uh, really Africa was striving for. To, I mean, because he was certainly proud of that. And oh yeah, but this oh, is yeah. a remarkable human interest story, and you've done it oh, in yeah. a very unique way. Uh, this is not just a novel or a, or a biography. Auto. Uh, this is done in a play format. Now, why did you choose yes. that way to do it? Yes, I know. Um, a play format, especially young children. We have plays on slavery, Harriet Tubman. Most kids know about Harriet Tubman because they get to participate in the plays. It's read to them at school. They can pick it up at the library, at the bookstore, and read it. It's it's more exciting, especially for the younger people and young at heart and adults. We love to go to the movies. We love a good play on Broadway. So that was the idea behind it. And because he died years ago, unknown, almost forgotten, I had to think up a, a way to in, reinvigorate, you know, his legacy, you know, his name, you know. And I, as a school teacher, I remember, I know that it works for the younger kids, you know. I even remember going to school all the way in Africa. <laughs> I still do remember some lines from Shakespeare's Macbeth. Because we read Macbeth, we put it into plays, and we were all excited, and we learned. Really, that was my the beginning of my love for literature. And these were African kids. It's a second language to us. But we loved it, and we learned a lot about Macbeth and Banquo and the three witches, you know, and so on. So I knew that the kids today, African kids and kids all over the world who wanted to read a good book, you know, learn about a, a, an important event in African history, that doesn't have to do with war and destruction and poverty and disease, they could read this book and know that, look, there was a time these people came together and they made it happen. Because the rest of the world didn't believe they could do it. Okay, we just got our independence from the British in 1960, right, October the 1st, 1960, mind you. And this fight took place in uh, 1963, August 10th, so barely three years after we got independence, after years of colonial colonial rule. And we don't have to get into what colonialism or colonization did to Africans. But yes, they were still able to. When people didn't believe they could, they came together, they rallied, and they made it happen. And of course, the icing on the cake was when Big Tiger, you know, <laughs> retained his uh, middleweight championship for belt, and they say he did. With that feat, he put Nigeria on the map. But it was a new, you know, fledgling nation, new nation. But after that, that fight, the press corps, the whole world, it was like their eyes, the eyes of the whole world was trained in Nigeria. And uh, the tiger saved the day, you know. What can you say about a human being like that? And he remained humble and gracious to the end. The beginning of your story, your play, the Kickstarter for the whole thing, the scene with a women's riot in southeastern Nigeria. Now, tell us about why you chose to do it that way. Okay, well, yes, the women's riot. It was a hot, 
hot, hot button issue, you know, then. And these women, you can't help but admire them. If I admire my dad, Dick Tiger, you have to give it to these women. They were illiterate, you know, they were uneducated, but they knew there was something wrong in the picture. You know, the British, they felt, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how much of the story, but um, um, I chose to use it to tie the, the, the uh, play because it occurred the same year my dad, Dick Tiger, was born. He was born in August. My dad, Dick Tiger, was born August 14, 1929. And this started happening around November, I think October, November of uh, that same year, 1929. And if, if you've read the book in the chapter two, you know, it overlaps. We, we go from him being uh, <laughs> presented to God, to the Orisa, by his dad, to going back to the women's war and to its end. Um, yeah, I chose it. You know, it was a connection. That was a fight for their dignity, those women. They felt the taxes were unfair. You know, the taxes levied uh, uh, on them by the British uh, colonialists through the, uh, uh, they, they called them, um, oh, Chief Okugo. You know, through uh, uh, sort of uh, a sub uh, a sub leaders. Okay, I forget what they called again. See, I had to go back to the book. But uh, yes, they felt it was unfair, and these chiefs enforced enforced it at all costs. You know, for the for the British overlords. So these women revolted. They were fighting for their dignity, their self respect, and uh, what they felt was their right. Uh, so I tied it into the Tiger's fight 30-something years later when he, you know, and the Nigerian people all stood, right, in one accord to fight a different kind of war. It wasn't war, but it was also a fight for sort of a fight for their dignity, you know. Nothing against Mr. Jim Fulmer, the gentleman, to, to, you know, to the last. You know, he's gentleman as much as Dick Tiger was. But it's just, it was a fight. It was very symbolic. Okay, Africans, Nigerians had to prove, you know, to the rest of the world that, uh, you know, they want the same things that uh, we want. We're no different uh, from them, uh, despite what uh, colonialism might have embedded in their minds, the stereotypes. It just it was a good, for them, it was a good um, time to show, you know, their strength, uh, you know, on, on what they're about. That was just why I tied the women's rebellion. It was a rebellion for their dignity, their right, their uh, honor, as much as, you know, the fight 30-something years later with Dick Tiger and Jean Fulmer, where the Nigerians, the Africans actually, you know, wanted to fight for their dignity because the whole world didn't believe they could pull it off, but they did. Well, you say you hope that this effort would kickstart a conversation to encourage Africans to take stock of the beauty and the diversity in cultures that abound in Africa and to see the diversity as an advantage rather than a stumbling block. That is Africa's promise. So we have about a minute with, for a closing thought, Justina, before you tell us how to get your book. Give us a closing thought in just 60 seconds. The closing thought is, Yes, Africans should really put aside their differences. We can all live together and make it work for us. Here in the, in the United States, you know, it's a potpourri of shay here in New York, and people live together. It's all about respecting one another. 
one another's uh, way of life, you know, and so on. Just um, being more humane, more tolerant of people's cultures and um, the way they are. I know Africans have it in them, right? We're human. We're part of the human spirit, part of the world. We're part of the human, uh, you know, elements. We're all the same. Anything we put our minds to, we can do. We've done it before, and I know we can do it again. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Justina Ihitu, and she is the author of her play. It's in the form of a book. You can order this book. Uh, in Africa's Honor, Dick Tiger versus Gene Fulmer III, A Blast from Nigeria's Glorious Past. Justina, tell us how to get your book. Oh, you can order through me, <laughs> Justina Ihitu. Uh, Dick Tiger Foundation, P.O. Box, 1786, New York, New York, 10150. Or you can order through iUniverse, or you can order through Amazon.com, or BarnesandNobles.com, or even you could Google it. <laughs> Thank you, Justina, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle, and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the books, The Balkan Angels, Volume 1 and 2, and the authors are Peter Taryani and Rita Doshek, and they join us now from Budapest, Hungary, 
Hello, Rita. Hello. Hello, everybody. And hello, Peter. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. Let me read just a few things you've uh, written about your books. Uh, I'll just, uh, just in kind of summary, and then we'll get into the details. You say this, This is a true story of finding and locating war criminals, which allows one to get to know the method of operation for unique manhunter units anywhere in the world. It comes from personal experience, and this is you, Peter, uh, talking. It's your experience. You've led these sorts of units, and you write about what you've done. It's also not the American point of view based on true events and has a good message to the readers. It's a thrilling, exciting story full of adventures and personal development. How come you uh, wrote this book, uh, Peter and Rita? Why, why did you do this? Well, uh, I can say all of it came from personal experience. So, like you said, uh, I led uh, such headhunter units in the Balkans in the early 1990s. And uh, there, during the war, I saw innocent children uh, suffering and dying, and... Uh, uh, that gave me the uh, impetus, I, I can say. So uh, I want to speak about and write about the war crimes and uh, at the same time have children uh, as much as I can. And uh, uh, we didn't mention it last time, but uh, uh, we would like to uh, do a little bit charity uh, with our books as well. Uh, so there is a children's hospital in Budapest, Hungary, uh, where uh, doctors do uh, an everyday, very, very uh, serious job uh, by treating uh, young patients, so little children uh, with cancer and other uh, really uh, dangerous diseases, and uh, we intend to uh, to give them all the proceeds uh, from the the two volumes sold in Hungary, and find the money sold in the United States in the future. So. Yes, and charity was no question between us, because uh, thank God I never took part in a, in a war, but um, as we were working on our, our first book, uh, I lost my two-and-a-half-year-old nephew. He died of cancer, and in this time I, I showed that I'm powerless to help him, and that's why we thought we give all the money from, from these books to this children's hospital. Why is the topic so important to you today? Uh, so I'll tell you a concrete example. Uh, some days ago, uh, the International Court uh, of Justice, based in The Hague, in Europe, the Netherlands, uh, started a very uh, serious process against one of the most uh, dangerous and most renowned uh, Balkans war uh, criminal uh, who is uh, responsible for several genocides, so for killing thousands of people. And I think it uh, gives a certain uh, actuality to, to the issues we described in the volumes. Uh, so there are these uh, uh, mass murderers who need to be punished and who we need to uh, catch them nowadays as well and bring them before the courts. Yeah, and if you are not so familiar with those um, um, war criminals, you have to imagine 
them like like Osama bin Laden, for example. And I think that uh, this question, question is always a current topic. So if you generally think about movies and books or even cartoons, uh, the fight between the good and the bad is always an actual uh, topic. So you're saying that there are still active headhunter clans in Europe? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there are uh, still uh, headhunter clans in Europe. So uh, the secret mission I, I led in the early uh, 1990s uh, had uh, the purpose of finding these war criminals, and uh, there are still people uh, in Europe uh, with the European Union and the United States who do the same things uh, today, so currently. Uh, but uh, things have changed since then, I must say. So I retired, and the uh, uh, headhunter units changed too. So uh, currently it's the Euro- European Union and its forces who search for uh, the, the war criminals who left in, in hiding in Europe. And uh, I, I have to say also that... Uh, these uh, criminals have changed uh, very much, so uh, they have uh, gotten involved, for example, in drug cartels and prostitution and uh, human and organ trafficking, blackmailing of uh, European politicians. So uh, they they have uh, come really close to uh, terrorist uh, groups as well. So, for example, uh, including the Al Qaeda. So uh, they they have them distribute the drug the drugs they they make in Afghanistan and in Iraq. So uh, they they became the allies of the of the uh, enemies of the Western society. So we have to uh, we have to catch them and uh, end uh, this relationship with the terrorists. Yeah, and and this fact comes true in our uh, volume two. Uh, since the first book is about the Balkan War itself and the operation how this Manhunter unit leading by Tom uh, will catch the war criminal, the most wanted war criminal. In the second book, uh, the readers can follow the happenings, what happens after that. Those war criminals who are uh, still outside, they want to keep this team. And, and through the blackmail politicians and and the local mafia, they, they have a really big power. Uh, with their illegal power, they can uh, make a, a really uh, hit to Tom's team. Are you working on a new book right now? Yeah, uh, currently uh, we are writing the book again together with Rita, uh, which is uh, temporarily entitled The Man of the Pope. So it's Again, Tom and his team uh, who find the enemy, but now uh, the topic is quite different. So uh, this book, the, the Man of the Pope, uh, tells about those Catholic priests who, uh, during the communist era, uh, collaborated with the communist authorities. So, for example, the, the Russian Soviet uh, KGB, and who, uh, by doing so, betrayed the Catholic Church and the people who uh, confessed to them and so on. So uh, actually, uh, they uh, not only did they betray the church, but they had the KJB uh, to organize uh, attacks 
uh, terrorist attacks uh, against uh, John Paul II, so the Pope who who, who had to destroy uh, communism. So uh, we would like to draw the reader's attention on the fact that there is also a secret, uh, not so visible war, uh, which is going on in one's mind. So the leaders, uh, communist leaders, didn't tolerate uh, any beliefs other than theirs. So, for example, they didn't tolerate uh, religion, and uh, that's why they needed to control people's religious life uh, by intimidating the priests and pastors and by getting them involved in communist agencies. So, and in, in Hungary and everywhere in Europe, uh, in Eastern Europe, it's a very stark and tough question because the church uh, doesn't really want to uh, talk about it. So uh, they, they want to just let things pass in, into uh, forgetting and oblivion. And that's why we, we, we think, we redound that we have to talk about it uh, in a book. Yeah, and of course, this book is also based on the truth, uh, but uh, we we write always like historical fiction because in that way we could save our sources. I mean, without giving out names or jeopardize former agents we spoke to, and uh, that's why I think these books are more entertaining also because they are in that way uh, more spectacular and, and and full of action, and it is. Uh, it is good for those who want to read a very spectacular adventure story or for those also who want to know more about history, about those ages. But uh, back to the Balkan Rangers, we hope we could make you a good teaser and you will uh, soon read our books. And then we should, we should translate the next books again. Including the man of the book. Including the man of the book. And... And don't forget that the money goes to Children's Hospital, and that's why we, we want to have a bigger market for our books. Well, the title of the books are The Balkan Angels, Volume 1 and 2. Tell us how to get your books. Uh, um, our books are available by iUniverse and in Amazon.com, Indigo, and iBookstore for, for Kindle and iPad. And you can visit also our website on the www.parkinsangels.com. We've been listening to Peter Taryani and Rita Doshette. Uh, they are the authors of The Balkan Angels, Volume 1 and 2. Thank you, Peter, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Rita. Thank you, Steve, and have a nice day. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. 
Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Seventh Journey, book one. And the author is Robert J.R. Graham, and Robert joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Robert. Hi, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, this is a credible, credible thriller here, of credible imagination you have to put together such a, uh, well, it's it seems to fit right into today's uh, modern technology and all the possibilities. Uh, you say this, uh NetX, an advanced research firm with more than one secret agenda, has developed a mind-altering headset technology, which now poses a threat to all of humanity. The headset uses a mysterious sound wave called auditum that can control the brain and even hurls users into a different dimension. And of course, we have the hero, the staff scientist Jacob Cross, and he was heavily uh, involved in developing the new headset, and now he is in the middle of a, I guess, a, a double world of conflict, of right? A conflict. Or... Yeah, definitely. Definitely there's a conflict there, and um, he's uh, kind of been wrapped up in this, uh, this adventure that he didn't really expect to have happen. Um, when he kind of started working with uh, NetX and the Auditum technology, he was kind of brought in under the auspices that it was really there to kind of help people and heal people and, you know, use kind of meditative states and different states of the brain to kind of, you know, induce healing. Um, but later, as he found out that, uh, you know, through some involvement with his friends and so forth, as the, as the plot progresses, um, it was actually designed for much more than that and potentially to enslave humanity. So that's something that uh, goes against his moral character. So he basically tried to take that technology and figure it out on his own before someone else got the better of him. So how did you come up with this great storyline? Well, it comes from actually years of um, doing a lot of different readings and research into, you know, stories that I found helpful throughout the years, um, you know, things that are either touching on different dimensions or, you know, touching on you know, different philosophies and, and things of that nature. And uh, when I decided to 
actually sit down and write something. A lot of that came as um, uh, fuel, I guess you could say, for the creativity. Uh, a lot of lot of great uh, authors that I've um, you know kind of worked with, or, or at least I've kind of used their their kind of methodologies and, and so forth as, as inspiration for my own. So, um, and a lot of personal experiences as well have kind of you know helped to to bring together the seventh journey. So this new technology can literally send a person through a dimensional portal. It does, yeah. So it, it doesn't happen, you know, kind of right away. I mean, you'll you'll see it in the book. It does it does happen kind of early on in the first few chapters. But there's actually other things that start happening to the users of this technology, um, and I kind of get into that a lot more as the series progresses. Um, but uh, in the first book, you definitely kind of start seeing what happens to the to the main character and. and you know, what this technology starts doing to him. Um, one of the main things that you start seeing is that um, he's able to see these multiple dots, or like, you know, what I would explain as little dots, microscopic dots everywhere. And that's right away one of the first um, side effects that he starts experiencing. There's a lot of other kind of metaphysical side effects in your, your standard kind of telepathy and things like that as his brain starts to change a lot of these experiences start happening to him and finally he's actually hurled into a different dimension um, after using the technology and then that's where you start getting the double storyline and his company NetX he finds out that there's a whole lot more going on with the CEO than than uh, obviously what appears on the surface yeah definitely um, the 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 antagonists I've kind of used in the story are, um, I, I think, probably one of the more interesting aspects of the story with uh, the CEO, Edward Aiden, um, and uh, his kind of involvement in how he's been, you know, utilized to bring audit into the world, and also the kind of the mysterious force that's been guiding him, whether he realizes it or not, kind of throughout the story. Um, and kind of things where, where things end up. But it's, you know, just as, you know, the character, the main character has to go through multiple dimensions, I've tried to make many of the characters multidimensional as well. So this unknown, uh, well, if this force be behind the CEO at NetX, uh, what is his name again? Uh, so the character's name is Lou Siege. Lou Siege, okay. He's the adversary from the other dimension. That's correct, yeah. And so his goal, what is his goal, ultimate goal? Well, uh, that's, kind of re- that's kind of revealed throughout the story, but um, I kind of bring it about in an interesting sort of way. There's, there's also a subgroup um, in, in the Seventh Journey called the Arabian, and this is a fictional uh, group that I've kind of based off of a, a Sufi, which is a, a religious uh, kind of sect, a Sufi group, and they're kind of the holders of these prophecies. And, uh, you know, these prophecies that they're holding are basically, you know, an epic battle between, you know, good and evil. And the evil aspect that, that uh, embodies in the story is this Lucige character. And uh, the main character, Jacob, as he's able to actually go into these different dimensions, once he goes into the other dimension and meets the guide uh, in the story that kind of helps him along the way, and her name is Tamara, um, she introduces him to Lucige and kind of what his role is and how he's been kind of working towards, or how Lucige has been actually taking over her dimension, and now that the portal has been opened through Jacob's world, he's actually going to try to get in there as well. And he's got a lot of training. He's going to need a lot of training. Uh, Jacob would, yes. 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 
Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of um, uh, kind of subplot there in terms of personal growth. So the main character, you know, he might start off, you know, rather kind of insecure or, um, you know, not really sure about what's going on. And there's a lot of confusion with him. And, that, you know, you might get that as you're reading the story because, you know, he's not sure if this is actually real or not himself. But um, as things progress, he starts to become more self-assured and, and secure. And, um, you know, you start seeing his personal growth um, throughout the story. And, you know, it's that personal growth that's actually really key for him to be able to take on this adversary. And this love story, is that a dominant theme? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I would say the theme is there throughout. There, there's a bit of a love triangle that happens in the story as well, as, you know, Jacob doesn't start off single in the book. He does have, a, you know, an existing love interest. But um, much like other aspects in his, you know, we'll call it physical world or real world uh, life, um, a lot of those aspects start to break down um, as he progresses further into the other dimension. So, you know, his, his main relationship starts to crumble and you start to see, you know, what's going on with that and why. Um, but, um, you know, and, and this, similarly with his other friends as well, they're kind of connected to his, his real world life. Um, those things start to break down. Um, and as he picks up and starts to believe more in this other dimension. And so that other, so that love theme does kind of, um, you know, uh, continue throughout and will continue into the next uh, couple books in the series as well. And kind of a side note, uh, Tamara, uh, would she be considered the heroine of the story? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how I've, I think how I've, I've done it because, you know, as, these, as the main character is kind of insecure, uh, Tamara is really the the character that embodies most of the aspects that he would need to have in order to take on this adversary. So she is really confident. You know, she is really wise. You know, she does really understand what's happening between these, these different dimensions and, and what needs to be done. Um, and it's really him trying to work his way into alignment with, you know, her state of being and, and where she's at with her confidence levels. And, uh, you know, as he progresses towards that, you start to see the hero rise in the story. And you created Tamara months before you met your wife, and her name is? Her name is Tamara, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Interesting how these coincidences <laughs> yeah. kind of happen, right? Well, or, you know, maybe it's just one of those multidimensional things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly have an interesting background. Uh, as you say, your curiosity about, you know, little things like quantum physics, uh, Eastern mysticism, Western psychology, ancient philosophies, martial arts. I guess all of that all rolled together. Uh, presto, we have Seventh Journey. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it, it might have been a bit of an ambitious uh, book to put all that in there, but I don't think it's, it's really prominent. I think there's hints of those aspects in it um, as the main story is told. Um, you know, Seventh Journey was really, you know, the, the real primary focus I wanted to kind of put into that book was, or this series, was really the multidimensional aspect of it. And all of those other things that I've kind of been exposed to throughout my own life, you know, aid to kind of tell the story and to explain why these things are, you know, potentially possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, my, my youth um, was probably a little bit more serious than others. But, um, you know, everyone has their aptitudes and you know, some people really got into, um, you know, sports or, or different things. And, you know, I really got into computers really early, and um, I got into researching things on the Internet really early. And, um, 
yeah, it's it's just kind of where I've ended up, but um, it's uh, it's certainly helped me to uh, craft um, stories and, and so forth uh, with some some depth. And this is going to become really more of a saga because how many more books do you envision? Uh, well, at least uh, I at least have the next two already, you know, uh, written out in terms of structure, in terms of high level points of uh, what's going to occur. Um, but I'd like to take the series as far as uh, seven books if I can. Well, the people in this other dimension, as you put it, have amazing powers like telepathy, flight, and light speed travel. They can create anything with their thoughts, and that's just the beginning. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, you know, I really want to take the other dimension and, and change what I would call the physics in it. Um, you know, having been a, a researcher of quantum physics and material sciences, you know, a lot of the things that we seem to be really interested in, you know, uh, these days around superheroes and so forth are people that seem to not be bound by the physics of our universe, right? You know, incredible strength, um, all these kinds of things. Um, well, I really wanted to kind of take that to an extreme uh, in the seventh journey and um, really have people um, with uh, this kind of energy-bending ability that I've kind of created, um, which is essentially utilizing your thoughts and, uh, you know, creating um, objects or energy weapons out of, out of nothing, uh, just, uh, just the power of your thoughts. And, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of taking that and trying to evolve that as, as the series progresses. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think that's one of the unique elements. This character, his counterpart, Lukeman? Lukeman, yeah. And that's in this dream world that he... It is, This yeah. other dimension. And mm -hmm. does, is, does he realize uh, who he is in the other dimension? Or is there a, some kind of a connection with uh, understanding that he goes back and forth? Well, the thing is uh, with, with the character and what I tried to uh, portray was you know, that it's, it's kind of like you're arriving to the party late and everyone's been expecting you, and you're not really sure why. <laughs> so, you know, you know, he kind of comes off as, uh, as this character, well, you know, I, I'm just an everyday average Joe, and um, I created this headset, and I worked for this company, and all of a sudden I'm wrapped, in, you know, wrapped up into something a lot bigger than he is. Um, and, and that's kind of how I've, um, you know, enabled him to be this other Lukeman character, which is, you know, essentially... They've been, everyone in the other dimension has been waiting for his arrival. You know, he, he's not even sure what, if, this, if any of this is real at all, um, or if this is just some figment of his imagination. But as he arrives in the other dimension, people are heralding his arrival, you know, and, uh, and are, are, you know, um, very hopeful that he's now arrived because, you know, he happens to be the one that they believe can help them. Um, so, you know, he's not really sure if he is Luke Mon or if any of that is real, but, you know, at, at some point he has to make a decision as to, you know, whether or not he wants to progress down that path or not. And this is his journey towards mastery. It is, yeah. Um, that's kind of the, you know, the, the hero's journey or, or the, you know, one of the, the main kind of plots points is, um, you know, he comes from... Uh, you know, being a fairly, you know, as I say, uh, an average guy, he has a, you know, a job in the science research field. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a standard kind of guy who's been, you know, educated and has a job. And, you know, he doesn't really necessarily think that there needs to be anything more than that. Um, but as he comes to understand, there is a lot more than that. And he does have to, um, you know, really kind of 
evolve or grow to the the highest um, the highest aspect or the highest version of himself that he could possibly be in order to take on this adversary, and that that's kind of where this personal mastery kind of idea comes in. You have used, as you put it, a mixture of truth and fantasy, but you've also got this uh, side to it, these antidotes uh, that are scattered throughout, which depict a more spiritual side of the uh, uh, Arabic culture. Yeah, this is true. Um, you know, I think throughout history, it, there, there's, always, um, there's always been, you know, let's say the villain, or there's always been the culture that, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, we've, we've um, been looking at in, in slightly negative light. And I know, of course, since, um, you know, political reasonings over the last 10 or 15 years, we happen to be looking at perhaps the Arabic culture in that negative light for whatever reason, and, you know, obvious reasons are there for that. Um, but I, you know, just like in every culture, I know that there are positives and negatives, and I, and I want to kind of research, you know, what are the, what are the more kind of spiritual, or what are the, what are the kind of more positive aspects of, of these cultures that are, you know, um, that are of a similar thread to all other cultures. And um, that's kind of what I want to focus on. So I did take a fictitious group and created them in my story and used them as the harbinger or the messenger of certain pieces of information throughout um, holders of prophecies and and uh, also aiding and training at certain points. Uh, but yeah, there is definitely a lot of uh, research there in terms of um, those cultures. It's an epic adventure. The title is Seventh Journey, book one, and the author is Robert J.R. Graham. Robert, tell us how to get your book. Well, the book right now is, uh, is available on your major uh, retailer websites and uh, in stores as well. So there's uh, Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can also get it at uh, chapters.ca um, for uh, the Canadians. Um, and uh, also you can uh, just grab, uh, grab it from my website, which is www.robertjrgrand.com. And uh, over there, there's links to uh, all the availability locations. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Oh, thanks very much. It was a real pleasure. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.